What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you here in our continuing conversation with Ingo Swan and his book, Volume 1, Secrets of Power. Chapter 2 and 3 are next. All right, chapter 2 starts out, Two Major Concepts of Power. The complexity of power and powerdom can be pictured in various ways as a convoluted network, as a gigantic puzzle most of whose pieces are hard to find, or as an intricate labyrinth filled with fake doors, dead ends, and clever booby traps. Yeah, labyrinths. There's always a way out of a labyrinth. The usual format of power structures. So the anatomy of power can consist of some kind of hierarchical format whose structure contains orders or ranks, each subordinate to the one above. Think pyramid. It appears that power is a formatted arrangement of control, authority, and influence into a graded series, ranging from the few powerful at the top, down to and including the many powerless down there at the bottom. If the formatted arrangement is all there is to power, then the case is more or less closed, and all one needs to do is learn how to negotiate one's way among this or that power structure. Right? But... A more accurate description of power and its anatomy, is uh, more akin to the proverbial iceberg. You know, a little bit visible, a lot not. One factor is quite certain, although the conventional concepts regarding power do reveal a great deal about its ever-changing vicissitudes. Now that's a word that I actually am going to find out what that means. Hold on. Right, so vicissitudes, a change in lot or fortune, usually in the negative, but uh, it means a change of fortune. Those concepts are also entirely inadequate with regard to many fundamental issues. Principal reason for this is that the conventional concepts are not based in the probable totality of human powers themselves. See artificial construct. Instead, the conventional concepts are set up to establish who is and who is not to have power. The societal constructions set the margins, with the powerful thereafter maintaining those margins sometimes doing so with strength and enthusiasm that can be ruthless. The Visible Anatomy of Power as Societal Artifice So, every societal construction is nothing more than some kind of sociological artifice. In other words, an artful stratagem, an ingenious device, or expedient system designed to incorporate individuals into some kind of power structure. The well-known conventional definition of power is control, authority, and influence over others, which is closely linked to the definition of artifice, in that control is almost always gained by artful stratagems, or ingenious devices, or systems. You know, pyramid. Only the very naive, lost in the illusions of idealism, me for a while, will think that societal power does not incorporate ingenious devices and expedients. As it turns out, societal power utterly drips with such. The structured power artifices do not at all reflect the entirety of human powers per se, 
but only the particular format of how control, authority, and influence over others is set up and then maintained for as long as possible. Ingo makes two points. One, control, authority, and influence over others literally means not only control, authority, and influence over the physicality of these subservient populations, but two, also over their minds, their beliefs, emotions, education, intelligence, and any potential powers that might chance to emerge within the powerless individual levels. Now we get to go into the essential and the authoritarian definitions of power. Ingo says, A central difficulty regarding enlarging one's comprehension of power relates to the conventional idea that the definition of power is control, authority, and influence over others. However, that definition is more aptly suited to the meaning of authoritarianism, which is defined as relating to or favoring a concentration of power in a leader or in an elite also relating to or favoring submission to authority. Now, there are various degrees and arrangements of authoritarianism, just as there are various degrees and arrangements of power elites. But if power is defined and accepted as control and influence over others, then the others are subservient in some sense, at least. The fact is that the conventional concept of power as control and influence over others is only a societal artifice set up and managed so as to incorporate the subservience of the others. It's set up that way. Now, in most definitions, power is defined as an ability to act, to cause, or produce an effect. Mental efficacy, a source or means of producing motive and transformational energy. These are causative definitions, as contrasted to the authoritarian ones, which by definition are controlling ones. You know, influence over the physicality of the subservient population, authority over others. Causative and controlling definitions of power are in conflict. The most simple reason is because controlling powers would wish, or would wish to find it necessary, to control causative powers at the random individual level. Causative powers belong more principally to our species as a whole. Those powers download into each and every specimen of our species, even into those many who find themselves powerless in the face of societal controlling powers. We all got it. Causative definitions of power outlined are the antithesis of authoritarian control, authority, and influence. Authoritarian control can act to suppress and defeat the phenomena associated with the emergence of the essential activities of power at the individual levels. Surprise, surprise. The system wants to self-perpetuate. And that means anything not for the system must be eliminated. Dictionary Definitions of Power Like I said in the beginning, it's a lot of this. That's okay. This is a great way to expand vocab and understanding so that when we come into contact with this stuff inevitably in our lives, we're going to be able to kind of taste it get, it, get a feel for it, sniff it out, and spot it a lot easier, which means we'll have more opportunity and options to respond. Most modern dictionaries give first status to the authoritarian definitions of power and second status to the essential definitions. However, the Oxford Dictionary of the English Language reveals that the essential definition of to cause to act was first utilized about 1305. That's a little while ago. The essential definition as a particularly strong faculty of body or mind, of vigor, vitality, and energy appeared in about 1440. The two authoritarian concepts of power as personal or social 
ascendancy and controlling political or economic ascendancy or influence didn't show up till 1535. In today's parlance, there are two highly contrasting definitions of power. Mm. Ingo goes on, these two kinds of power are not altogether the same thing. A number of books on the subject of self-empowerment have appeared over time, and some contain very helpful information, but most of them are deficient with regard to one very important context. They give hardly any hint of what the individual is up against. The Basic Problem of Self-Empowerment Therefore, with regard to self-empowerment, one will not be attempting self-empowerment per se, but will be attempting it within a societal artifice, which has established ingenious devices and expediencies to truncate too much self-empowerment. If one is not at least somewhat cognizant, aware, of those societal devices and expediencies, one's self-empowerment efforts may end up being like a dismal, failure-prone war in unmapped territory where the societal devices have all the advantages. If the foregoing seems harsh, just take a good look at the enormous number of the powerless throughout the world. Yet our species existed here long before the societal power artifices that are controlled by the relatively few powerful. And indeed, if our species was not a power species to begin with, there would be little need to erect power artifices to control power in the first place. In any event, it's now necessary to move into the next chapter in order to examine the enormous disparity between the powerful and the powerless, and to point up at least one logical reason for the disparity. Items to remember. Try to observe distinctions between individual and societal powers. And as we pause between chapters, I must recommend the animation, for adults only, uh, Primal on HBO. Wow, what an awesome representation of what individual power is that does not adhere to any societal construct. Epic animation, epic storytelling, no dialogue, really. Awesome. Highly recommend it. Primal for individual power representation. Okay, chapter three, the hidden status quo relationship between the powerless and the powerful. Most books on power direct copious attention to the powerful, but hardly any attention at all to the powerless, except to refer to them as controlled, influenced, and obediently subservient, you know. Beyond that, though, it's really quite difficult to find out anything about the powerless, except that they are incorporated into the lower echelons of power structures where they're ranked as having relatively low or no power status at all. Powerlessness exists because people are powerless. According to the general understanding, the arrangement between the powerful and the powerless is thought of as simply as the way of things, how they always have been and always will be. But that seems a little fishy, so it seems necessary to establish the approximate real proportional differences between the powerful and the powerless then to point out a factor that this is not found clearly mentioned in any book about power, except for maybe this one. So roughly speaking, the relatively powerful comprise about 10% or less of the total population, while the relatively powerless make up the remaining 90% or more. This less than 10% of the powerful can be further subdivided by considering the visible and invisible power elite, 
the latter few of which are known to operate behind the scenes. Who's pulling Klaus Schwab's strings? Yeah, would you believe that I am taking orders? <laughs> From whom or what? The exceedingly great attention paid to the powerful makes it seem that their proportional population is much larger than it actually is. But if the whole of our human species is considered, and if the vast proportional disparity is to be considered as real, then it seems that our species naturally produces the vast populations who are not meant to be powerful. This, of course, is ridiculous in the extreme, if only because an allegedly intelligent species that produces over 90% of naturally powerless populations could not survive very well, if at all. So it can easily be considered that the 90-10% disproportional relationship is little more than a societal artifice. <laughs> the needed status quo relationship between the powerful and the subservient powerless. A significant question that is never posed is that if the powerless did not exist, then who or what would the powerful have power over? There is a real and necessary large lopsided dynamic status quo relationship here between the powerless and the powerful. There's even historical indication that the powerful are aware of this necessary status quo relationship, and that overt and covert ways and means are designed to perpetuate it at the general societal levels. In bygone centuries, the status quo was trenchantly assured by establishing class systems. There were the minority powerful and the majority powerless, between which there was no upward mobility. This was assured by denying literacy to the lowest class orders. Yeah, you're just not going to be able to read, I think. I think no. People were born into a class, and there they stayed regardless. Historians explain this as a necessary method to ensure possession and inheritance of property and wealth. But in fact, it also served the secondary purpose as a necessary method of limiting access to societal power, as well as serving to perpetuate the powerless classes so that the powerful could have power over them. This needed status quo relationship makes examinations of power complicated. And in this sense, the existence of the direct relationship between the societal powerful and the societal powerless probably qualifies as the first secret of power. Power is not just power. Power over others can come into existence only in juxtaposition to the powerless, or at least with regard to something else. What is amusing about all of this concerns the official definitions of societal authoritarian power. As already established, they are usually given as control, authority, and influence over others. But the nature of the others is never identified. And <laughs> for an apparently good reason. The powerless do not generally think of themselves as powerless. In general, the powerless seldom relish the idea of thinking themselves as such. Largely because the concept of being powerless is demoralizing. The fact is, almost everyone has some kind of power, if only in their local universe and their own reality sets. If individuals complain or grumble about not having enough power, well, they'll quickly be told by one and all that their reasons reside in their own psychological realms. Well, you've got no self-confidence. Not enough drive. You have problems with relationships, <laughs> etc. And that these need to be corrected at the individual level. These inadequacies have something to do with whatever is involved, but there's a larger reason why the powerless don't have much power. If the powerful need large reserves of the powerless in order to have power over them, it would be quite necessary to condition powerlessness into the masses via social and educational artifices. <coughs> Public school system. Ooh, see that? I, something in my throat. Ingo sums up the third chapter, the three hidden parts of power over others. 
If the foregoing is considered, the topic of and the phenomena of power easily breaks apart into three fundamental parts, having the following priority. 1. The necessary existence of the powerless. 2. The needed lopsided relationship between the powerless and the powerful. And 3. The powerful who surface from among the powerless and who thereafter must maintain the needed lopsided relationship. Those three power parts suggest that the powerless must exist before the powerful can surface to exert control and influence over the masses they have emerged from. If this would be the case, then very few of the powerful would actually try to empower the masses because doing so would default number two. But this is almost the same as saying that the powers of our species that could unfold amongst the vast populations are artificially contained by hidden social mechanisms. Hmm. Items to be considered. Does our species naturally produce gobs of powerless individuals? That's a fun thing to think about. Walk around, look around. What do you think? Does our species naturally produce a whole bunch of powerless people? Or is that production of powerlessness within people something artificially enforced and engendered in our society? Ooh, it's a good conversation because you know what? We're all a part of this power species. I'm excited to get into it with you. Thanks for hanging, and I'll catch you on the next one.